Atlanta Hawks have fallen to an uninteresting team, a collection of guys with clear talent that have shown they've been unable to gel. After a mid-year coaching change and finally dealing John Collins in the offseason, can the 2023-24 Hawks improve to some relevancy in the Eastern Conference? The Boston Celtics are a team that many have pipped to be at the top of that conference this season. They're a team well and truly in the midst of an open championship window and yet have had some significant retooling to bring sophomore head coach Joe Mazzula some more weapons this year. Are they a favorite to return to the NBA Finals? I'm Alexander Jay, host of B-Ball Bites, a five-minute NBA daily show, and on today's season preview, we look at both the Atlanta Hawks and the Boston Celtics and what we might expect from them this season in the NBA. Today's episode of the show is sponsored by the book Learn to Code with Basketball by Nathan Braun. Check out the links in the show notes below to see if you can learn how to code using basketball. The Hawks last year were perfectly balanced. They were 41-41 win-loss record after starting the year with an over-under set at 46 and a half. They were 29-30 before Nate Millen was let go. Interim head coach Joe Prunty had two wins, zero losses, and then Quinn Snyder stepped in in February 26th. He finished 21 games with 10 wins, 11 losses. This was a Hawks team that could score the basketball. They were third in points per game at 118.4, but also allowed teams to score 118 points themselves on average, good for just 26th in the league. So you might say that this was a team without much of a defensive identity, but strangely enough for a team third in points, they were also 18th in the league with assists at only 25 a game. They also had the second worst turnovers in the league at 13 per game. Another interesting analytic that I'll, I'll leave up to your interpretation is that the Atlanta Hawks led the league in two-point attempts per game. This team snuck into the playoffs a somewhat competitive six-game series against the Boston Celtics somehow ended in defeat. Come draft time, the Hawks drafted Kobe Bufkin with the 15th pick and picked up Seth Lundy midway through the second round. They converted him to a two-way deal. A kind of busy free agency period followed. They picked up Wes Matthews, then traded John Collins to Utah for Rudy Gay and a future second. Took on Usman Garuba and Taito Washington from Houston along with two more seconds then flipped Garuba, Gay, and Washington for Patty Mills. The end result is they got Patty Mills, Wes Matthews, and two future seconds. My focus this year is on how star guard Trey Young can operate with more experience in Quinn Snyder's offense. Ice Trey was ninth in total points for the league last year. That's no small feat. He was also second in assists per game at 10.2 each appearance, third in total free throws, and led the league in turnover. So everything ran through Trey. The star and head coach Nate McMillan famously butted heads last year, but I'd expect he'd be on a shorter leash with veteran coach Snyder, who's got a career-winning percentage above 58%. I watched a few Atlanta games kind of by accident at the end of last year, and I always seemed to catch interesting moments. I was really intrigued by the lineup of Sadiq Bey, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Jalen Johnson, Onyeka Okongwu, and Trey Young. Looking at postseason stats, this lineup was only the ninth most used lineup all postseason, but blew the doors off of opponents. They only played 49 minutes total across this postseason, again, small sample size, but outscored opponents by 61.5 points per 100 possessions. This lineup was the second most used against the Celtics in the first round, and while it wasn't as bad as most of the lineups with Murray, Capella, and Collins on the floor, it was still being outscored by about 11 points per 100 possessions against the Celtics. Trading John Collins also, like, it's time, right? To be honest... This is a team that probably gets better with a recognized great coach in Coach Snyder, can build on the growth of Trey Young and some other young talents like Onyeka Okongwu. For all his perceived flaws, Trey Young is still a really magnetic player. If the threat of a Bogdanovich 3 allows him some more room to operate, I think Coach Snyder will try and tighten the handles to reduce those turnovers, but see what kind of offensive area Trey can flow in, maybe push some more three-pointers. 
I'm also super keen to see Onyeka Okongwu grow, not just because his name is great to say. Okongwu averaged 10 points and 7 rebounds in 23 minutes a game last year as a 23-year-old. The pairing of Trey Young and Okongwu as a duo was the third most fruitful pairing all season long, the two outscoring teams by about 4 points per 100 possessions across a fairly decent sample size, 930 minutes. For more insight on the Hawks, I brought on a guy I affectionately refer to as the Mini Basketball Encyclopedia, Yuri Bilsic for a chat earlier today. Welcome back to the show. Yuri Bilsic here to talk with me everything Atlanta Hawks. Um, first question, really serious burning question I have for you. Is Onyeka Okongwu the most fun name in the league to say? The most funnest name and one of the most hardest to pronounce, you could say too, Alex, if you're looking at his name for the very first time. That's always a good one. We, we just a little. A... I've probably just spoken about his connection with Trey Young and how good Okongwu and Trey Young were together. Uh, let's talk about Trey Young. The Hawks are a really confusing team. Uh, Trey got his coach fired last year. Let's be real. That's what happened. What are your thoughts on the Hawks this year? It's a real intriguing team, Alex, this season going into as well, especially with the Trey Young and DeJounte Murray's second season together and how that's going to work. And we saw it be effective at some points, but there came a time where they wanted DeJounte with the second unit at the start of second quarters to really facilitate the offense and then bring Trey back in with, say, five or six minutes left in the in the first half to pair alongside DeJounte. So that's going to be a real sort of intriguing aspect to how that sort of gels further. But the biggest part too is with Quinn Snyder and the offense that he's going to bring, Alex, because it's well known with Quinn that it's all about quick decision-making with the ball. Less than 0.5 seconds that players have got to make a decision before they facilitate to their teammate. And that's where Atlanta last season, right, in terms of passing and stagnation, they're the worst. The only average, I think, was about 251 passes per game, which ranked dead last out of all 30 teams in the league last season. So that's no laughing matter whatsoever because they can't afford isolation sort of match, sort of isolation play, should I say, whatsoever. Because what we saw, right, against the Boston Celtics, especially down the stretch of games as well, was that they just completely went to those one-on-ones and it ultimately cost them in the end and... Yes, we saw Trey Young hit that game winner in Game Five at TD Garden to get the Atlanta Hawks back into the series. But this is the other part too, as well, is probably more space and pace. I think with Quinn Snyder because we saw with Snyder right when he first took over the Utah Jazz back in ahead of the 2014-15 season that he sort of wanted to play more of a traditional big man with Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert right there, and it's sort of he stuck with that experiment for the next three seasons. But it's all came to what the 2000, probably 18, 19 season where the flick really switched and he decided we're going to go a little bit small right, especially at the power forward spot. And it really helped a lot of that floor spacing and turned the Utah Jazz into one of those more potent offensive teams. And that's the big task that he's going to have and I think could well work out with this side because three-point shooting, they didn't take a lot. Just like the Pelican, Chicago Bulls, last season they were all ranked in the bottom four for three-point attempts i think that volume will significantly increase we saw that with quinn snyder's utah sides right they were basically top three for three-point attempts per game so see that changing and the other big part to us well with the hawks this season is deandre hunter alex only yeah. a couple of years ago right the first round playoff series against the miami heat trey young was ineffective Make no bones about that. He was super ineffective. I think he was averaged, what, 15 points per game or something. Shot 32% from the field that series because Jimmy Butler completely wore him down. Well, DeAndre Hunter 
had one splendid series out. Alex averaged like 21.3 points. I think it was 56% from the floor and 45% or something from deep out of the top of my head. And that game five, we had 35 points, almost wielded Atlanta Hawks to game six back at Phillips Arena, which ultimately didn't happen right because Victor Oladipo played such a big part. It's his probably part in the offense, which is really curious to see how many, how many touches he does get of the ball on the offensive end, especially with Trey there and DeJounte too, him averaging 20 points as he's, as he's going to do once more this season. The other aspect to it as well is Clint Capella or Onyeko Okunwu when it comes down to the final waning minutes because we saw Onyeka get more minutes down the stretch than Clint Capella, Alex. Something to look to there. Thank you very much, Yuri, for coming on. Cheers, Alex. The over-underline for the Hawks is currently set at 41.5, and I'd lean to a slight over given some chemistry growth. I think the Hawks and the Pacers are probably the two teams that will separate the Eastern Conference guys in the playoffs versus the guys that just probably need to try harder. I have them as a play-in team, seventh in the East. How do you think the Hawks will fare this year under a second consecutive season with Quinn Snyder? Let me know in the comments down below while we move on to the Boston Celtics. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If the Bucks didn't poach Damian Lillard this offseason, I'd probably think the Celtics have the most interesting Eastern Conference team based off of the Kristaps Porzingis trade alone. Nonetheless, they offsided six-man-of-the-year Malcolm Brogdon after failing to trade him, moved on from the soul of the franchise in Marcus Smart, somehow managed to add former Buck Drew Holiday after he was made to part with the Bucks as well. Last year was a great year ruined by the Miami Heat for the Celtics. They were beaten in Boston in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. The Celtics won 57 games in spite of losing their head coach Ima Udoka prior to the opening game of the season for some human resource issues, with Joe Mazzulla being blooded in a trial-by-fire scenario. Mazzulla's inexperience showed late in the year where he was the bane of many a Celtics fan. They've looked to bolster the coaching experience around Joe this offseason with recent acquisitions Jeff Van Gundy as a senior consultant, Charles Lee and Sam Cassell who have both been lead assistant coaches with the Bucks and the Sixers in recent years. The Celtics lost Marcus Smart and Grant Williams this offseason. They gamed Kristaps Porzingis after a career year in Washington, Andrew Holiday. Last year, the Celtics lived and died by the three. They were second in the league for threes made and attempted, attempting 21% more threes than the previous season. And that comes at a cost. They came second last in two-point attempts made and attempted. And at times, 
The game bogged down in the playoffs. That was a major gripe of Boston fans. Sure, Tatum could explode for performances like a 51-point Game 7 against the Sixers, but he took years off of the life of many a Celtics fan in the preceding shots before that. That incongruency might be addressed a little more easily with the additions of both Porzingis and Holiday. Uh, the former able to get to the post, the latter a calming presence inside the arc late in games. Porzingis' career year in Washington may have gone unnoticed by the odd casual fan. He averaged 23 points, 8.4 rebounds a game, shooting 49.8% from the floor, a decent 38.5% from distance on 5.5 attempts per game, and he had two stocks, that's the old blocks and steals combined. The dude was balling. 10 of the 12 lineups Washington used last year that had a positive point differential per 100 possessions featured the Zinger at center, which is pretty nifty considering they only won 35 games. Most of those lineups also featured both Brad Beal and Kyle Kuzma, so I don't have major concerns that Porzingis might struggle to fit in to this Boston team that now has two and a half ball-dominant players in Tatum Brown and Holiday. To talk more about the Celtics, I'm bringing on the biggest Celtics fan I know, Tom Dev. I've brought on my biggest Celtics homer fan that I know, and it's a sports journalist out of Melbourne. He's a good friend of mine. Tom Dev, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. I wouldn't say I'm too much of a homer in my in some of my covering of the Celtics, but I would yeah, disagree. Would be Celtics fan. Disagree. <laughs> oh, it's up for contention. Where do we even look at this Boston team? Um, just previously, I've talked about Kristaps Porzingis was the most interesting thing anyone did over the offseason, and now they've got Drew Holiday. Um, where do you see this as a Celtics fan? Are you super stoked or are you worried there's not enough ball to go around? Do you see this as an NBA championship team? Where do you want to go with this? The floor is yours. Well, for starters, this is probably the most excited I've been for a start of a Celtics season since maybe that 2017-18 one where we got Haywood and Kyrie and just because I don't really know what to expect. This could go one of two ways, really. It's, it could be a championship team elite. Everyone could just jump in from the get-go, get in a nice rhythm flow, and the team works. Or it could go the other way. And like you said, there's only one ball to go around. We've suddenly got three guys capable of averaging 22 plus points per game on the team and they just don't gel and there's chemistry issues and all of a sudden we're looking at the trade deadline and everything's being blown up. I'm praying it's the first option and I have a feeling after watching the preseason, it probably is going to lean more towards that first option. And it's it's nice for once that it feels like we've kind of got players who are going to complement Tatum and Brown perfectly. Whereas it feels like when we had sort of Rob Williams and we had Smart, they were good, but they never really fully integrated their game to go with Tatum and Brown. I, I don't know if you felt that way too, watching Celtics in the last few years, but that's certainly how I felt. Yeah, an interesting observation I made with the two additions they've got is obviously at times the Celtics lived and died by the three last year. I think they were either first or second in three points made and attempted, especially in the finals. Like obviously Jason Tatum comes through with those massive performances, but he really makes your heart pound until he starts to hit those threes. Like they were clanking a lot. And the, the additions of both Drew Holiday and Kristaps Porzingis, I think, are really welcome Swiss Army knife options inside the two-point range. Like, Kristaps can go down and work if he needs to. Drew Holiday has been a calming presence for the Bucks. Do you feel the same way, or are you still thinking this is the team that's going to launch these threes, knowing that both Holiday and Porzingis can hit them? I, the, the threes will always be a concern, because last year it was live or die by the three. And, and any time the threes were going in, we basically won, like, 90% of the games. Anytime the threes weren't going in, it was either a slugfest to get the win or we got blown out from the get-go. I mean, there was one game against OKC that SGA didn't even play in last year and we got absolutely blitzed from the get-go because our threes weren't going in. And it's a concern, but 
Porzingis kind of adds that post-game that we've never really had a player like that for quite some time because when Horford, the first stint in Boston, Horford did add some post-game in him, but the second stint since he's been back, he's more been a 3 and D kind of guy and he's never really gotten down into the post. And it's shown his free-throw numbers. I think last year he didn't even average one free-throw attempt a game. So we've now got Porzingis and Tatum and Brown have never really played with a guy like Porzingis. So it's going to be interesting because he can stretch the floor and he can also go mm. right under the basket. And being seven foot three, if we play him and Horford at the same time, he's going to have a mismatch at, at a lot of the time. So it'll be really interesting. And then the Holiday edition, I I'm, I'm a, I was a big fan of Holiday. And there is an article up on the Roar I wrote last year saying how much I thought Holiday was an underrated player. So I'm so glad that I can put that one up and, and, and prove that I liked Holiday before we traded for him. Um, I, I think he'll add such a different dimension to this team because I don't think he's coming in looking to score 20 a night like he had to do for the Bucks last year when Middleton was out and like Smart liked to think he was capable of doing. He's going to come in and he's going to go, if I can get Tatum, Brown and Porzingis all 20 plus every night, that's my job. And just shut down the other guy's best guard defend, uh, guard player. It will be there sort of, it'll be, it'll be a win trait. Like that's what we want from him. And I really think collectively those four might be able to work well. And then you throw in White and Horford and suddenly that's a pretty deep top six. The wild card for the Celtics is the coaching in Joe Missoula. You and I have talked a lot about it, about Joe's inexperience uh, previously on our own shows. Um, what are your thoughts on the coaching? I think yesterday we, we had spoken briefly off air about Jeff Van Gundy being brought in. They've pinched the head assistant coach for, coaches from the Bucks and the Sixers. Do you have concerns of the coaching in the Celtics team or are you a bit more confident? I'm a bit more confident now just because he's had a whole season under his belt. He's had the whole postseason where, you know, criticism was on him, especially in that Heat series. I think he's a really good game-to-game adjuster. It's the in-game adjustments that he really struggles at. And that's what separates the elite coaches from the next group. And that's why, you know, Eric Spolster was voted as the best coach among GMs because his in-game adjustments are next level. And if you even go back to the bubble when it was Brad Stevens going up against the Raptors and Nick Nurse, there's like a 40-minute YouTube video on just the little game by uh, in-game adjustments made by both coaches that actually changed the game and the outcome of the series. And I, so far, Missoula hasn't shown he can do that. But now he's got two experienced assistant coaches. He's got Jeff Van Gundy you know, as a consultant. And maybe, you know, year two, he'll develop. My my biggest concern is there is a coach and he, he is kind of a Celtics legend who does not have a job at the moment besides his ESPN gig and Doc Rivers. Don't who, say Doc Rivers. <laughs> yeah, if, if things aren't going well in the middle of the season, I do worry that uh, the Celtics might pull the trigger and bring him back to try and get Banner 18. But I, for the moment, I, I buy in on Joe Mazzola. All right. I ask everyone a burning question about each team, um, but this is your team. So I've left the question up to you, Tom. So you can ask me whatever your burning question for the Boston Celtics is. My question for you is, is there a better team out there to beat the Celtics than the Celtics? (laughs) Usually, traditionally, I'd say no. I think the Bucs pose an existential threat to everybody in the league. And they're in the Eastern Conference. I mean, if you can get all the way to the finals and you lose to the Nuggets this year, I think good, good fit, uh, fair play to you. Like, that's a great team. And the Bucks do pose a weapon with Giannis's ability to get to the room and the shooting. I see a lot of the Celtic struggles I think I've seen over the years has been growth. And I think they've been smart to keep as much of the core together as they can until this offseason with losing Marcus Smart. A lot of teams will try and fail and get rid. I think this is honestly a team that can win an NBA title, and it might be this year. There has been a lot of failures to get there, though. Um, 
And if it, if it's Joe Mazzola's fault, then maybe I'll agree with you this year that the Celtics keep getting in their own way. As an old Lakers fan, I feel pretty happy to say that, but uh, I'll take that impartiality off again. A good question, though. I don't know. How do you feel? Do you think the Celtics can get out of their own way this year? They've got four stars who uh, demand the ball. I, I, I do think they're capable of winning the finals, but I'm telling you now, if we're going to win the finals, there's going to be at least two to three series that go seven. It's not going to be sweep, sweep, sweep. You know, maybe a five-game series or a six-game series, like what the Nuggets did last year. Like I'm, I think the most jealous I've ever been watching an NBA team is how easy the Nuggets did it last year. You know, five games against the Timberwolves, sure they went down the wire, but still one and five. Six against the Suns, four against the Lakers, and five against the Heat. Like compared that to what I've been, I mean, this Celtics team. I'm 23. I've got gray hair. I've been aging. Like this Celtics team has aged me by at least four or five years and that that Derek White buzzer beater in game six last year which we recorded a podcast afterwards if you go back and watch me I'm not in a safe mental state because that game just <laughs> threw me yeah I mean they're great to watch as a neutral fan a lot of the time these game sevens but uh, thanks a lot Tom we'll see you again for another preview in a sec thanks for having me the over-under for the Celtics is set at 54.5 this year it's the same as last season where they beat it by two wins at about 57 wins I think this line is pretty accurate, so I'm refraining on betting from it this year, but I do have this team pegged as best in the East as championship contenders. Should the Celtics be the NBA championship favorites? You let me know down in the comments below. If you enjoyed today's show, subscribe, leave a rating, whatever the hell happens on YouTube right now. Follow Bebo Bites. It's a five-minute daily NBA podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I'm previewing the other 28 teams over the next week and a half here on this channel. See you guys for those episodes. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.